Please stand and give your attention to God's word. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Leah. Well, this is a, an amazing text that I'm looking forward to walking through as a church family this morning. And as we come to this text, it reminds me that one of the great privileges that I have as your teacher in residence uh, is every nine months I get to curate or be the primary teacher, Bible teacher for the Nashville Fellows Program. Uh, our church family, West End, along with Christ Presbyterian Church and St. George's Episcopal Church get to steward these remarkable men and women that come from many cities in fact, this morning, I'm sure you, like me, enjoyed Frankie leading our worship. Behind her stood her husband, Spencer, who was one of our very first fellows. On our student ministry staff, Ben and his beautiful wife, Lauren, uh, were fellows here. Uh, Kayla, who now works with her young professionals, also a fellow. Why am I highlighting this ministry as we come to the Bible? Well, not only because I'm getting ready to teach the new batch of fellows we've got coming in, but one of the privileges we have as a church is to have a fellow live in our homes. I ask you, like literally dozens of families have over the last six years, to consider setting aside one of your bedrooms this year to allow a fellow to live in your midst. It will be messy, it will not be convenient, but it will be so much of a privilege to live and to love to the glory of God. If you would think about this, we have three of our uh, fellows that are still going to be looking for a home to live in this school year. Call the church office, talk to some families that have gone through this ministry before. Anyway, we can serve you in praying about this stewardship in light of God's great grace for us and these marvelous young leaders coming into our community. That being said, I do turn your attention now to this incredible text, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, that will be on the screen. Would you put the text back up there? Just, I just want the screen, before, the, the text before us. Fortunately, in a small text, we can go through every word in this portion of the Bible. And let me remind you where we are in this summer series. Carter began a study on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit several weeks ago. This is the next to the last sermon in that series. Carter comes back this week uh, from Colorado where he has climbed yet again another 14,000 foot peak with some of our uh, men in our community. But he'll be preaching uh, next week on being filled with the Holy Spirit from Ephesians 5. But in the context of this series, we have been studying the gift of God's Spirit to his people. And this morning in this text, we're going to see a very dramatic, very important, a vital dimension of the Spirit's work in the life of every believer. It's vital for many reasons. Its vitality, however, can be really understood before we walk through this text of even remembering why 
Paul wrote the book of Galatians to the men and women of the province of Galatia. If you have not read through Galatians recently, I would encourage you to do so uh, as a follow-up on this Lord's Day to this morning study. It is a passionate letter. Paul begins with a degree of redemptive anger. Now, I'm not real good with redemptive anger. I usually just get irritated. But Paul is redemptively angry because there's been a huge disconnect in the lives of the men and women in Galatia. They are largely a Gentile church. The gospel has come to them. They had an incredible good beginning. They heard about Jesus and they believed on Jesus as the promise God made to be generous to ill-deserving men and women like you and me. They believed on Jesus and there was great joy, but something has happened group of false teachers have come into the community. Uh, Some leaders who were converted, but tragically were more rooted in the the law of God and the legalism and performanceism. Paul refers to these false teachers as those of the circumcision group, meaning that a group of Jewish leaders were coming into Galatia and looking at these Gentile believers and basically saying, unless you become a Jew first, you cannot really be a Christian. Well, this absolutely just cranked up Paul's heart, and he is redemptively angry. And he calls down the very judgment of God upon anyone that would add on to the finished work of Jesus to be the basis for Jew and Gentile alike to come to know the living God and to rest in his love. The entire letter of Galatians is a return to the gospel. It is a letter written for men and women like you and me that might even today, however, think about drifting. And sometimes we don't drift back into legalism or performanceism. Sometimes we just drift. And God has given us His Spirit to really disconnect our heads and our hearts, to make a true theology, rich doxology, to, to restore to us the joy of His salvation for us. Well, let's consider what that looks like as we walk through this text. There's two main aspects of this passage, two primary sendings in this scripture. Number one, as we'll see, God sent his son. And secondly, he sent his spirit. What does this look like? We are titling this conversation this morning, the spirit of sonship. Think with me about what does the spirit of God do in the lives of God's Sons and daughters in response to the finished work of Jesus. Paul begins verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now that is about as clear of an affirmation of what the gospel is all about as we're going to find. But once again, to understand every single word, we need to think about the background even in this own letter. We see in verse 4 that um, the coming of Jesus, the sending of Jesus was connected to a particular time. Now there's two different ways we could look at the fullness of time or the set time that Jesus came. We could think about the Roman world into which Jesus was born. And there's a lot of reasons to argue 
that it was the perfect time for Jesus to come during the Pax Romana when there would be a greater probability that, that good news, that, that, that news would be spread throughout the Roman world. The, the road system is better. I, I think that's one way we could certainly look at why God chose the very century, the very month, the very day when he would send Jesus. But really in the context of Galatians, there's a background to the promise. It's really two characters in Galatians that help us understand why God indeed generously sent Jesus. Earlier in Galatians, Paul refers to Abraham. He refers to the fact that God made a great promise many years ago to a pagan man named Abram that he, God, drew to himself and by which God made of that one man, Abram, a great nation. And God made promises to Abram that were so enormous. God said, Abram, I will make of you a nation, and through you all families on the face of the earth will be blessed. Well, that was the beginning of the expansiveness of how generous God would be with the nation that would become Israel, but also every nation in the world. And so when Paul refers to the fact that God made a promise to be a great and generous redeemer, the question is logical. So when is that going to happen? How could it possibly be that God would be so generous to, to redeem a family from every single race, tribe, tongue, and people group? This is a part of what Paul's referring to in the scripture. When the time had fully come, a set time in response to God's commitment to be a great and gracious redeemer. But there's also another person, huge in the history of Israel, that's mentioned in the book of Galatians earlier, Moses. And Paul talks about early in Galatians how really the, the problem with legalism is it usually ramps down or dumbs down the law of God. That really when God through Moses gave his law to his people, that one of the main purposes of the law would so overwhelm us, it would drive us to Jesus. Think about that. One of the main reasons, if not a primary reason, why God revealed to us all of His law. Just think about the Ten Commandments for a minute. Just think about the summary of what the Ten Commandments actually require. If you go there with me, you can easily see how in the world can we do that? How can we obey these laws? Does God really expect us to obey the law to the degree that we can earn our way into heaven? Paul argues absolutely not that one of the reasons God gave us the law is to show us how great our need is, how holy he is, and how generous he will be when he would send Jesus. Well, again, when Paul writes now, he is highlighting the said time came, God sent his son who alone, whose work alone could be the basis upon which we really can believe that all of history is defined by God's commitment to be generous and to have a family of Jews and Gentiles, men and women from every nation. And that through the work of his son, Jesus, the law, the demand of the law would be fully met. That's what a part of what Paul means uh, in these words. Look at this. When the time Set had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. See, that's the language that helps us understand. We have a need. Someone must meet, meet for us. But notice what's said about Jesus. Two things. Both his deity and his humanity are affirmed. Who was it that God sent? 
He sent His own Son, capital S, Son. Jesus is the second member of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally God. What a magnificent mystery. But within the Trinity, this plan was made. And God the Son would would come as God, never ceasing to be God, but be born through Mary and fully take on a human nature. This is just an incredible affirmation of the one who actually came. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he came as one born under the law, which meant that Jesus, a part of his calling would be to equally, along with us, to be under the weight of the law of God. Being made by God for God, Jesus shows us that he indeed is one like us, one in our midst. And he came, verse 5, to those under the law. Now, let me ask you this morning as you're waking up still, who is under the law? Not a trick question. If you said all of us, you'd be a good, in good company. <laughs> We're all under the law until the day Jesus does something for us, he alone could do. And that's where this language comes in in verse 5. He came to redeem. What does redemption mean in the Bible? Well, it's an economic term. It means to buy back. In the sending of Jesus into the world, God paid an enormous price to buy us out of slavery, a word that's rich within the context of this passage. We were slaves. We were slaves of death. We were slaves of sin. We were under the weight, the slavery of looking at the law and saying, I cannot do that, O God. What hope is there for me? Well, see, this is what's bound up with this first sending. God sent his son at the perfect time to redeem those of us under the law. Under what ends? Second part of verse 5, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now that should stagger us. It should not just be a piece of theology that we agree with. And that's going to be where the Spirit of God comes into play in His ongoing ministry in your heart and my heart and in our church and through our church to the nations, to the community. But pause for a moment. Here's why Jesus has come. Not to give you a second chance. Not even just to give you a clean slate so that a second time you might make better with your life than you did the first round? No, Jesus came to redeem you, to buy us, to do something for us we could never do for ourselves. See, the Bible says of Jesus, he he did two remarkable things for us as our substitute. That as fully God and fully man, he came in response to all the promises God has made, because Paul writes in another letter, 2 Corinthians, that no matter how many promises God has made, they all find their yes in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Well, even before Jesus died for you, he lived for you. He fulfilled the law. What does it mean when the Bible says Jesus fulfilled the law? Well, it means more than one thing, but here's a part of that that we usually miss. Jesus as the second Adam, as the last man, fully obeyed the law of God. He took on all the demands of the law, and he alone did it perfectly. You know, growing up in church, I never heard that. I certainly heard 
that Jesus died in my place, but I never really heard that he lived in my place. And Paul is highlighting just how extraordinary this gospel is. Why legalism, performatism, going back to trying to find some way in my own effort to make God be pleased with me, it is, it is well, he uses the very word in Galatians, it's a satanic delusion. Because Jesus obeyed the law. No one else could. But secondly, he did die upon the cross. He took our place. He took the judgment we deserved. Now, I'm saying words that probably the biggest percentage of you in this room agree with. You probably also agree with this notion that you've heard before, that if you believe in Jesus, you are adopted. And for some of us, that has more meaning than others. Some of you have been adopted into a family. Some of you are adoptive families. But you see, once again, as in Galatia, so in Nashville, Tennessee, sometimes this good news, if it's not replaced with a horrible perversion of the gospel, it simply becomes old news. And it's why Paul will say later, raise the question later in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19, he'll say to the whole church, what has happened to all your joy? Paul remembered when the good news of Jesus not my second chance, but my perfect righteousness, it made all the difference in the world when the good news that we're not simply given a place in heaven, but in the Father's heart, in His family, we are adopted. It made all the difference to the people of God in Galatia. Just like for some of us in this room, some of you surely remember back, perhaps when you first believed on Jesus, when, when someone first shared the gospel with you, whether it was in elementary school, your parents, maybe some of you never remember a day when you were not a Christian. And let me tell you, that is the perfect story to be raised on the covenant family where you, you, you know, you didn't have a dramatic conversion, but you've never really doubted God loves you through Jesus. But more of us have some remembrance of when the gospel was sweet and real. Where did that go? What wars against that? Here's where the Spirit of God comes in and how critical His ministry is. Notice where Paul goes next there from verse 4 and 5, proclaiming the sending of the Son of God whose work is once and for all. It's a glorious work. We can never exhaust it. We will be amazed by it forever. We'll learn more about it in heaven than we ever knew in this world. But the second sending will perhaps help us further appreciate how critical the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. And maybe how timely his ministry is in your heart right now. As you ponder, how have precious things become ordinary to me? How have other stories, when then I begin to look to people for my joy, when they can never meet the deepest longing I have for this kind of assurance, this kind of wonder, this kind of, of absolute joy, that comes to us from the salvation of our God. Well, notice what Paul writes now in verse 6 and 7. Last two verses of our text. Because you are sons, and when he uses the word sons here, think of sons and daughters. See, God referred to the whole of Israel as my son. So this is not a gender-limiting concept. 
It's familial because you are actually God's daughters and sons. Because through the work of Jesus, you can have certainty that all your sins are forgiven and that Christ's righteousness is yours because you have been taught and you know that you now belong to God. You're not your own. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. See, the first sending was God sending his son into the world. The second sending is God sending the Spirit of His Son, God the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. All of a sudden, it really comes close, right? It really gets internal. God's intent is that you will not just agree with the creed, but that the creed will transform you and me time and time and time again. Notice what the Spirit of God does. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, let's just time out briefly as we move into the spirit of sonship and the witness of spirit that Paul's referring to here. Let's even remember a few of the things we've learned in this series that the Spirit actually does. Who is God the Holy Spirit? He's not a power pack you strap on in order to impress God. He is a person, fully a person. And the first thing we studied a little of it was that he regenerated us. We were dead when we first heard the gospel. We, 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 we even needed the spirit to bring life to our hearts that we could hear about Jesus and, and believe on him. We needed the Spirit to regenerate us, to cause us to be born from above so that we can even acknowledge the depth of our need. He did that. What else did the Spirit do we studied? When we believed on Jesus, He sealed us, marked us. The King's signet ring is declared, we belong to another. And it's, in, and it's an inviolate seal. He began indwelling us. If you are a Christian, you are indwelt forever by God the Holy Spirit. He didn't come and go. He permanently indwells you. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8 9, if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we don't belong to God. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. He is, as Paul says, the first fruits and the guarantee of the final inheritance. He, Paul uses a Greek word similar to the uh, engagement ring. We are already legally married to Jesus. The spirit inside of us would say, Jesus is the ultimate spouse, the only spouse I'll be married to forever. This is good news. He is praying inside of us. As Greg mentioned, he is groaning inside of us when we don't know how to pray. He is praying for us. He is gifting us for service. The Holy Spirit's ministry is so critical, but this one that Paul's highlighting is reminding us we need to surrender to the Spirit's voice within us. What does He cry out if we listen? Abba, Father. What does this mean? It means that the Spirit is declaring to your spirit and my spirit that we are sons and daughters of Abba, Father. Abba being the Aramaic diminutive of Father. It, it doesn't mean Daddy. Let's don't diminish it down to that because that sounds too much like Sugar Daddy. But it's more like the European Papa. There is absolute access to this Father, but you never forget who He is. Now, in the remaining time I have, let's just think about the witness of the Spirit. Let's just think about even the phenomenon of a voice inside of you. Everybody in this room right now has competing voices for your attention. Some of you right now are thinking, 
in the next two hours? Will it be Chipotle? Will it be stir fry? Will it be a nap? There are voices. You know what, what I hear right now? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have tinnitus like me, but I have a ringing in my ear. This probably will be the year I get hearing aids, but I'm going to get the ones you can't see. I'm so vain. I have a competing roar. And, uh, and uh, I have other voices. I have the voice of self-doubt, condemnation. I've got the voice of vanity. I've got the voices of a culture telling me, do more, try harder. I've got, there's all kind of voices. There's voices of people that are dead. I can still hear. I'm still not absolutely certain my earthly father really was proud of me. Now, what voices carry more weight right now in July 2019 in your life? See, the part of what Paul's saying is here, oh, foolish Galatians, why did you start listening to these false teachers that diminish the beauty and the finished work of Jesus before your eyes? You know better. Who bewitched you? Anytime we see Jesus less clearly, it is a bewitching Anytime we hear the Spirit less loudly, it's not okay. And see, this is why Paul is not polite as he's writing these words. He is really stirred up. Because men and women to whom we listen matters more than anything. Some of us are so tragically codependent on people in our world. And we live for affirmation and we die by rejection. And you know what, if, if, if that's you, I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to feel wise because Jesus died for that. See, we're not any longer slaves. That's why this image in Scripture is, notice the contrast. You're, you're adopted. You're, 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 you're not orphans. Did not Jesus promise not to leave you as orphans? He wasn't exaggerating. He, he who lived in your place, died in your place, was raised, ascended, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things. He sent His Spirit into your heart. You're not an orphan. Quit acting like an orphan. Quit acting like you don't have a heavenly Father, as though you're all on your own, or as though that some human relationship or group of them can possibly fill you up or more money or more games or more activity or more face time. We are desperately empty. And that's why the Spirit cries, Abba, Father. Now, Abba in the original context speaks of desperation and delight. See, the Spirit absolutely wants you to know that you are beloved of the Father, that you are more loved than you can imagine, and you'll never not be loved. God loves you as much as He loves Jesus, and there's nothing you can do about it. That is a part of the Spirit's work, to declare to your heart, bear witness to your spirit and my spirit, that we are the children of God's delight. But it's not just the cry of the Father. It's not just a cry of delight. It's also a cry of desperation. Where do you go when you're desperate? Got a remarkable pastor I get to mentor in Winter Garden, Florida, which if I did not live in Franklin, Tennessee, that's where I'd want to live. Winter Garden's awesome. And this remarkable pastor and his wife have four of their own children, and they adopted four Ethiopian siblings. 
And when they went to get these children from Ethiopia, there was an incredible peace and joy. This group of siblings had, had been in a very impoverished situation, and they were now desired, and they were wanted. And it, was a, it made for a great photo op when they first got home. Four natural children, four adopted kids, big house, big family, until life began to unfold. And not just those Ethiopian precious children, but all the children. But let's just think now for a moment of the adopted children. In time, the real background of their stories began to emerge. The depth of trauma, of abuse, of loss. What do you happen? Where do you go when in life in various seasons? Parts of your story. Things that have happened to you. Things done by you. When it really begins... Do you know what it feels like to be desperate? Do you, do, you, do you know what it feels like to be desperate? When I'm walking with my brother who's sometimes overwhelmed at the calling to love these babies and he and his wife are so committed, he said, Scotty, sometimes I have to lay on the floor with my Ethiopian children and say, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I am not going to leave you. And those kids will push away and they'll, they'll just spew hate because it's almost inconceivable to them that someone would not harm them. You're like that sometime too. And where do you go when you doubt Abba's love? Where do you go when parts of your story finally emerge from the past? Do you simply run to denial? How do you medicate pain? How easy it is for us to try to wringle free from the Father's embrace. You ever had anybody in your life that could take your face and put it between their palms and firmly but not harshly hold you and say this, look at me, look at me, look at me. And you want to turn, you want to pull away. Let me tell you, there's only one set of hands whose love will never let you go. There is only one embrace that will take on all your guilt, all your shame, all your story, all your crazy. And it is Abba Father. And the Spirit Every single day. Doesn't care a flying Houdini, what cereal you buy at Publix. You don't have to pray about, is it Cheerios or granola? Spirit primarily wants you to see Jesus. More of Jesus. Jesus more clearly. Because he is your savior. God sent his son into the world. God sent his spirit into your heart. Turn down the volume on those other voices. Turn up the volume on the Spirit of God that would tell you of the sufficiency of Jesus for you. See, that's where this text goes. I am running out of time, so let's finish. There really is a third sending in this text. Look at the very last word. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Here's where we conclude. God sent his son the first time to be your savior, to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He succeeded. The second sending, God sent his spirit into your heart who convinces you, convicts you, changes you, frees you, but God will send back his son a last time and heirs long for the day for the fullness of the inheritance. 
precious friends, whatever the guilt, the shame, the disconnect, the foolishness that is absolutely even defining summer 2019 for you, the Father will bring to completion the good work He began in you. You are legally, fully heirs of eternity, of life in the new heaven and new earth. God will complete the story. Live as an heir, the true riches of what it means to belong to Jesus. Think about even this summer. In fact, you know what? Enough talking. I want you to pray with me. We just, let's just pray.